So this morning will be our fourth hot topic. Uh, we've been walking through some challenging questions. I believe it's important for us to ask these questions in the church. We don't avoid the hard things. We believe the Word of God has good answers for us. Amen? The Word of God can answer these questions. The truth does not hide. It stands up tall. And we want to, as best as we know, as followers of Jesus Christ, ask these questions that oftentimes we, we wrestle with. Uh, we began with the topic of hell and talked about how, according to the scriptures, we know it to be a horrible reality. And part of our desire as those followers of Christ is to let people know that there's a way to escape and that there's salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We spoke about the reality of hell. Two weeks ago, we spoke about the defense of the unborn. Scott Klusendorf came in. I really appreciated him sharing how we can, in the marketplace, talk about and defend with kindness and love, but defend those who can't defend themselves. We spoke about our defense and our stance for the life of the unborn. Last week, I talked about how to know the will of God for your life. We have a God that knows us, that loves us, and has a plan for us, a great plan. But how do you know that? How do you know if you're on the right track? And how do you know how to follow his will? An extremely important question for us. And we talked about that last week. So this morning, we have one more. And this is a hot topic that I believe is an extremely important topic for all of us at different levels. The question is this, if God is so good and God loves me so much and God is all powerful, then why? Why is there so much pain in the world? Why is there so much suffering if God is so good and all powerful? I want to say it one more time. We speak of a God of love, a God that knows us and loves us and cares for us. And then we experience or we see pain and suffering around us and we say, why? If God can change these things, why doesn't he? Has anybody ever asked those questions? My guess is we all have at different levels. Either you've asked this question in the theoretical, you've looked around, you you love Jesus, you hear the pastor preaching, we sing God is so good, and we say, yeah, God's good, but, and then we have this disconnect. And we say, if God's so good, why did that situation happen? And we look at it from the theoretical, or else we've walked through it with our own pain and suffering. We love Jesus, and sometimes we've been sold, or we've been, I gave myself away there, didn't I? Sometimes we've been told that if you follow Jesus, you won't have any more problems in the world. How many of you found that to be true? Yeah, and so we wrestle with these things, and I would say that the answer to this question or the lack of an answer to this question has waylaid many, many people. Many people who have said, if this happens, I, I think of a man that told me, my, fa my mother died when I was five. Why would God take my mother away from me at five? I don't want to serve a God like that. 
Very real people. Very real challenge. So what do we do with that question? First of all, we have to face the fact that there is a lot of pain and suffering in this world. I was thinking of China. China with the prisoners, thousands of Christians imprisoned in China because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're forced to work in inhumane situations. And these are our brothers and sisters who are suffering because of their faith in Christ. And we ask the question, why doesn't God do something? Why does God just go zap, zap all the guards, zap all the bad guys, open all the prison doors and set them free? I mean, that would be a good thing, right? Why doesn't that happen? I read in the news last week of Priscilla Crossland Anderson, wife of a country singer. I guess they're fairly well known, beautiful family, stage four cancer. And her husband, the country singer, is quoted as saying, life is not fair, but God is always good. Strong statements. You look in the news, you see the earthquake in Haiti. We are very involved with that. 300 people died in a week. 300,000 people died in a week. Flooding, wars, and we pray. But sometimes, many times, the situation remains very painful. So some would conclude, well, that is because there is no God. Now they look at this and they go, well, if that's the world, then the world's a mess and there is no God. Others would say, well, there is a God, but he's far away or on a trip or he just doesn't care. So there's the situation we're dealing with. You with me now? And instead of you hearing my sermon, we're going to mix it up this morning. And I'm going to have uh, three brothers join me up here in a panel discussion, all right? I'm going to mix it up. Guys, come on up. Grab your chairs, and I'm going to have Matt Shonick be our host for this morning's panel discussion. And may I just say that um, I've invited these guys because we don't all agree. And I believe that's a good thing, that we talk about this river. If we have that picture, here we have the banks of the river. And the banks of the river is what we stand for. John, if I can put you down there, thanks. They're the banks of the river, which are the the foundational things in Christ that we believe. But in the middle, there's room for understanding the things of the gospel a little bit different. And so we're in different boats, but we're in the river. Amen? Let's remain in the river. And my hope this morning is that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That we would learn to wrestle with some of these questions and hopefully this morning come away with a better understanding. So, Matt, over to you. Good morning. All right, this is our esteemed panel uh, with varying positions. So I'm going to introduce uh, people from your left right here. This is John Weber, IT specialist at YZ Public Schools and theology enthusiast. Then we have Zach Schubert. He's one of our elders. You just heard him speak. Uh, he's a principal, spelled principal, of the uh, private school in Burnsville. He's also a soccer and body pump addict. Uh, we have Kent, who is our pastor, a missionary for the DR for many years, and my boss. <laughs> and we have uh, Brad Kneffelkamp, who is a commercial photographer, author, entrepreneur, evangelist, drummer, and plays the hammer dulcimer. He's also married to Michelle, who's our awesome administrator, who keeps this place running. All right. <clears throat> so, guys, I'm going to ask you to keep to pretty—this is a, a timed thing. This is like a, a, the time limit. So we're going to start with question one. Eight. 
So uh, I would ask that you'd respect uh, the time limit. So we're going to start. And God is so loving, and God is all-powerful, then why all the pain and suffering in the world? We're going to start with John and then go to Brad. So, John, if you could take that first question. I'm going to exercise my free will. That toss, its rotations, its speed, I did that. That's my throw. But every aspect of that rotation was the sovereignty of God. Nothing could have prevented that phone from being tossed. Nothing would have changed how many times it turned. Over the top is the, the usual way that time doesn't permit to nuance just what that looks like. With evil, it's no different. As surely as we have a God sovereign over trivial phone tossing, we have a God who is sovereign over all. Sovereign over the evil of the death of Jesus. It says in scripture it was his will to crush him. But it also says in Acts, through sinful men, they exercised their will to do it. So in a great mystery, God has the world set up so that evil is somehow a tool he uses exactly the way he intends, but in a manner where God never sins, God never does evil, and God is nevertheless in a mysterious, complete control. I'll stop there. <laughs> Thanks, John. All right, uh, Brad, your question. All right. Um, well, I believe there's suffering because people choose to hurt other people because we brought sin into this world uh, and subjected it to corruption, Romans 8.20. And so we literally live in a world that's falling apart. Um, that's why we have tsunamis and earthquakes and things like that. Um, and because God has an enemy and we are often the targets of that enemy. Uh, we are born into an actual spiritual battlefield. This question, uh, why is there suffering? Is it from God? I, I believe the, the crux of this question is really, what's the character of God? And I think anytime we, we look at God and go, what is his character? We have to, as, as believers in Jesus, we, we must get our picture of God from Jesus. Uh, he's the word of God. There aren't many words of God. There's just one, that's Jesus, that's John 1.1. 1, 1. He's the image of God, Colossians 1.15. There are not many images of God, just one, that's Jesus. Uh, he's the very nature of God, Philippians 2.6. There aren't many uh, expressions of the very nature of God, just one, and that's Jesus. He's the exact representation of God, Hebrews 1.3. Not, not a lot of exact representations, there's just one, and that's Jesus. 
Uh, Jesus said, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, John 14, 7. In other words, don't look anywhere else to determine God's character because God's character looks exactly like Jesus. So I have to ask the question, how much suffering did Jesus bring? Um, how, how many times did he uh, give someone a disease? How many times did he call down a catastrophe? Um, he, he had the opportunity, his disciples said, should we call down fire? And, and uh, he was like, you don't know what spirit you're of. Uh, how many deaths did he command? How many uh, child molestations? How many rapes? How, many, how, how much suffering did Jesus come and put on people? Um, I see I'm out of time. Uh, I just want to say that Jesus came to alleviate suffering, not bring it. He came to undo the works of the devil. We're going to go to Zach next and then... All right, so question is, if God is so good, if God is so loving, if God is all-powerful, then why all the pain and suffering in the world? In uh, A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, starts off with a very, very good question or, or point that he makes. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then he kind of goes on to say, before the Christian church goes into eclipse anywhere, there must first be a corrupting of her simple basic theology. She simply gets a wrong answer to the question, what is God like, and goes on from there. So pain and suffering, and I'm under time here, so i got to fly, um, are seen in some of the first chapters of the Bible. If you've read Genesis, you get that pretty quickly. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and in so doing, um, God made a pronouncement. He curse the snake. Um, so that was an animal that he did something mean to, you could say. Um, he multiplied pain in childbearing, and he cursed the ground. And so in cursing the ground, we have sweat and pain when we get our food. The next chapter um, records the world's first murder. And really, that's kind of the heart of where pain and suffering comes from. Sin entered the world and through it pain and suffering. Paul picks up the thought in Romans 3, 10 through 18 and again in Romans 1 and Romans is an amazing treatise on um, much of this topic but kind of back to that question why all the pain and suffering? Well apart from God Mankind is utterly depraved, whether that comes in the form of overt wickedness or sometimes pious self-righteousness, it takes that form. So my short answer would be sin. Kent? We live in a world that's at war. I do not believe this world is designed because, to work as it works because we live in a broken world currently. And within that, we have a God, a God of love. And this God of love is supremely relational. That his heart and passion is to know us, to love us, to walk in true relationship with us. And intrinsic to that whole concept, the whole reality of love, is a freedom to choose. My wife's love for me is real because she chooses it, not because it's forced. And in the Garden of Eden, 
Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against the Lord, which really, really, really messed things up. Which it severed the relationship between God and man. It damaged the relationship we have one with another. And it also cursed the land and messed up the natural reality around us. And so we live in a broken world, but into that broken world, God has sent a Savior. He sent a Savior, a Redeemer, that takes our brokenness when we bring it to him. Whether that be redeeming the land, whether it's healing our relationships or redeeming our relationship with God, Christ came as our Redeemer, which is moving us in the direction of the redemption and really back to the garden of that wholeness that God has for us. But we're in that process, and so we live in a world that is broken, and we groan and we await for the glorious day. The pain that we feel, we look towards the coming of Christ, we look towards our eventual being with Christ, and we look forward to that day where things will be redeemed once again. Thanks, guys. So you see kind of many different positions pointing in a similar direction, maybe. Um, but so, guys, I want to um, shift it a little bit and make this a little more um, uh, real. So I'm going to ask, um, so you're, there's an eight-year-old girl. Her name is Charlotte, and she's dying of leukemia. You have the opportunity to meet with her family. They're a Christian family. They've been surrounded. They've been surrounding their daughter in prayer. So in light of your theology and that stance that you've just shared, what do you say to her mother? So I'll give you one minute. Uh, we'll start with uh, Brad and then go to John. Uh, yeah, you're making it real. <laughs> um. No parent should outlive their child. Uh, it's a pain several of us here have experienced. And um, it's a pain I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Um, so what I would say to this family, to that mother, is, you know, your daughter's story isn't done yet. It's not done being written. Uh, God may still heal her. And even if you don't receive that miracle, because you're followers of Jesus Christ, the story isn't over. It's not the exclamation point at the end of the book. It's the period at the end of a chapter. And I look forward to the day that I see my son again. I look forward to the day when every parent who's lost a child gets reunited. Thanks, Brad. John? My assumption is that I have prayed together with these two, cried together many times, and that it is categorically unwise to share any theological answers without being invited. So I'm going to assume she's invited me otherwise. It would be harmful to attempt 
anything like that. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. But unlike Brad, I would say the book is done because it says in Psalms, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me as yet there were none. Yasar is formed. It's the same word that says Adam was formed from the ground in Genesis. And it wasn't just an observation, it was a creation. I'm out of time. Uh, Kent? I think in such moments I would try to bite my tongue and go. I've just found the importance of going, that nothing can take the place of a physical presence. I'd reject the Minnesota privacy rule that says leave people alone, they need their privacy, and I would go um, and cry and be with them and leave my theology as much as possible for another time. Maybe bring some food. I think I love the scripture, and this is what John was saying here, to weep with those who weep, to cry with those who cry. I think sometimes just being there is the message that we want to bring more than trying to help them understand at that moment the theology. I think we become the embodiment of Christ that comes to be with people in their time of suffering. And Zach? So like these gentlemen talked about, you know, I'd weep with, with her mother and, and the family, and, and it would be a very difficult time, of course. Um, but I think the reason we're answering this question is because what are you going to offer this mom in that time? And I would tell her that, you know, her father in heaven knows intimately about how she feels. Uh, he watched his son suffer. I mean, he was there for that. He watched that and felt that. And I would say, you know, in this moment, you're probably asking why. And I would also say that we don't have an answer for why. Not this side of heaven. We don't have an answer for that. But one thing we do know is that God has permitted this. He is all-powerful. He could have stopped it, and he didn't. So what I would do in that moment is encourage her and try and ground her in that rock-solid promise of Romans 8.28, which says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, all things includes leukemia, includes fill-in-the-blank. And in that, she has something to bank on, all right, so last question. Uh, we as a church, you know, stand on the foundation of the Bible. So I'd like you, you guys to share a favorite verse or two where your position comes from and just where, how, how has God revealed himself through Scripture and through your lives um, to have you kind of land where you do on this topic. So I'm going to start with John. Proverbs 16.4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Likewise, best estimate is there are 400 billion birds 
in the world. That's about 100 times more birds than people. Matthew 10, 29 tells us, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So in the last minutes that we've been speaking, thousands of birds have fallen to the ground. And God was in some intimate, mysterious way involved in that. How? That is beyond my learning. Likewise, even for trivial things, like birds, the greatest and mightiest are no less under his complete ordination or permission. So Proverbs 21.1 tells us the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So regardless of how good or bad XYZ ruler is, God makes, in some sense, his decisions through these people. And I shake my head saying, how can this be? But I can't rewrite Proverbs 21.1. Last, Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, God declares, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God works backwards. Before step one happens, the last step is complete. So the scripture says. Thanks, John. We're going to Kent. Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers who lived in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in which land you dwell. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe God does give mankind tremendous choices to serve God or to walk away. And then Romans 8, 8, 8, 18, I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. So I believe that as we walk through this broken world, there is a glory waiting for us that will far outshadow all of the pain and all the hard times that we've walked through. John 16, 33, so I've said these things to you that in, in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus knows our tribulation. He knows our pain. But even in the middle of it, we can find peace and joy with, in Christ. And the Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not all things are good, but they work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I just believe God has this incredible celestial mop that we bring him all our brokenness, we bring him our pain, we bring him our struggles, and God is able to take all things and turn them and work them to good, to bring them into his purposes and bring good out of which was sin, bring good which was brokenness and pain and hurt, and God's redemption is greater than all of that. So I, I don't believe that God brings us cancer. I don't believe God shapes it and brings us 
sins to our, us, that he brings them shaped and designed for us. But I believe that he's far greater than all of them, and he's able to redeem them for his glory. Zach? Yeah, so this is kind of like a discussion about the, uh, I, my short answer was sin, and on the first question, so I will just kind of back that up a little bit. Romans 3.10 starts out like this, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So apart from God, that is our condition. We can move over to Romans 1 and we get a little clearer picture of where God's at when sin and suffering is in the world. Uh, it says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then it goes on. I get a little bit of time here. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their minds, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. And it goes on. And it's just a long discussion from Paul about this. Apart from God, you are lost. Ephesians 2, 1, th 1 through 10 is another great discussion on this. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people are dead. Like they can't choose righteousness apart from the inbreaking work of God, which is called the new birth, which is an awesome reality that we hold dear. So, um, thanks, Zach. My time. <clears throat> Brad? Okay, so since they've used almost all of my scriptures, <laughs> I'm looking to see, did I write any others down? <laughs> Not really. So, but, so let me just go back to the point that I made, that we are in a spiritual war. Uh, Ephesians 6, 12, 11 and 12, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, rulers of darkness uh, in the heavenlies. And, um, of course, the book of Job shows how we're in this spiritual war. Daniel talks about how he was interceding for Israel, and God sent a... Uh, an angel right away to answer him, but he ended up getting uh, waylaid by the prince of Persia, who was a spiritual um, principality over that region, and talks about the spiritual warfare that went on there. Um, so, we're in a spiritual battle. The good news is, I've read the end of the book, we win. <laughs> And, um, or I should say God wins, really. I mean, uh, he's, he is so good at taking the things that the enemy meant for evil and turning them upside down on their heads and turning them around for good. He is so good at it 
that when we see it played out, we go, wow, he must have planned that from the beginning. But I don't think God plans evil. I just think he's so genius at outwitting it that uh, we, all, we all benefit from, from his great love. Thanks, Brad. All right, let the, let's give these guys a hand for being up here. <laughs> um, as they're getting down, I want to invite up uh, April Sloan to come forward. She is a counselor, mother, pianist, worshiper, and a great woman of grace. Is she here? There she is. Come up. <laughs> Thanks, April. Um, I've been thinking about this question a lot this week um, because it's something that is dear to my heart and that I've given a lot of thought to. And um, for me, it started when, um, probably 10 or 12 years ago, um, my family went through a period of time that it felt like, I mean, if someone had been looking from the outside and picking things specifically to tear us down and destroy us, that's what happened. And um, I just couldn't understand, like, God, I've made all the right decisions. You know, I've done everything that I was supposed to. I've followed you since I was a kid. And how, how could we end up in this position? And even though um, worship has always been a huge part of my life and music, um, it just means everything to me. But at that time, you know, I'd sit in church and I couldn't even sing because I would say the words and it's like, okay, I still believe that they're true, but I don't feel any of it and it just feels fake. And for me, the changing, like the breakthrough was um, I was sitting in a Bible study and the teacher was talking about creation and she described the world that God created, a world that was perfect that was beautiful, that had everything good, how we were in um, constant communication with God and fellowship with him, and how perfect and amazing that was. And at that moment, it hit me. God never intended for me to suffer. You know, he didn't create a world of pain and torture and hardship, and I don't believe that that's what God wanted. Um, I think he gave us a choice, and, you know, Adam and Eve made the decision to disobey God, and sin entered the world, and it changed all, you know, the course of, of the world. But even then, you know, when God could have said, you disobeyed me, I'm done, you know, he could have left it at that, but he didn't. It was like from that first moment, even when sin entered the world, he put in, in place a plan to redeem us. He didn't even let us stay lost. You know, and when I started thinking about that, you know, I just realized how much, um, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. <laughs> and there are a ton of pain and hardships and horrible things. But God, God did give us a, um, a book full of perfect promises. And when I get to the point where I don't feel like I can go on anymore, I remember some of the things that God promised us. You know, that he promised us that we will be with him in heaven for all eternity. He promised never to leave us. He promised to always answer us when we call to him. 
he promised to be our help in trouble, to be our hiding place, our shelter in the storm, and our strength when we're weak. He promised to provide a way out when temptation is too much for us to bear. He promised to send the Holy Spirit to be with us and indwell with us on earth and to intercede for us when we don't even have the words to pray. He gave us his word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And he promised to even direct our paths when we trust in him with all our hearts. But when the storms of life do rage on and we don't feel like we can take it, we can find comfort in knowing that the battle belongs to God. He promised that too. That he commands the angels to guard us in all of our ways and that he has given us the ability to clothe ourselves in the full armor of God. So we're protected from the enemy, from our very head, the helmet of salvation, all the way down to our feet. And um, the gospel of peace. Sorry. And um, anyway, throughout my life, that's where I found my answer to the problem of suffering. Um, that when, you know, I don't have to understand all of the horrible things that happen, but I know that God didn't cause them to happen to me. And when I don't know what to do, I can focus on his attributes, you know, God the Savior, God the Redeemer, God the Protector, God the Defender, God the Counselor. And I can believe in those things and all of the promises that he gave us in the Bible. Because even though the world is awful or horrible things happen, we don't have to do it alone. God never left us here to do it by ourselves. So, um, So just in closing, I just wanted to say that I, I think it's wonderful when we can believe, you know, that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, the end has already been written and our suffering is guaranteed not to last forever. And I think one of my most um, encouraging verses is the one that says, we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what's unseen. Because what's seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. Thank you, April. Let's thank the guys that shared this morning as well. Thanks, guys. My hope is that today we've learned and grown in our ability to worship the Lord with all our heart, soul, and with our minds. These are important questions for us. And with humility, folks, Tozer says we should be more humble about our orthodoxy. I think with humility, we realize that these are challenging questions. And may we understand that God's ways are greater than our ways and higher than our ways, and that we continue to work to understand him, but that we live in a mystery understanding this great God that we serve. So what do we know about him? We know God is good. We know that he loves us. We know that he's promised to walk with us through the battle. I love the scripture of Psalm 23, yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Jesus promises to walk with us through every situation, no matter how dark the night, no matter how tough the battle. And I close this morning with, with Revelation 21.4. We know that someday that God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, 
or mourning or crying or pain. We, have, we look forward to that day for the old order of things who have passed away. Jesus, we thank you that you...